You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. Amidst a year of web acceleration, changing habits, and questions about what legacy the pandemic will have on our day-to-day lives, after all this is over, it helps to go back to roots. In this case, I mean earlier stage internet companies, 1.0 brands that have had to adapt and shift to web giants and always online world and several micro generations of consumer habit changes already, even pre-2020. We speak today with David Siegel, CEO of Meetup. David is a former colleague of mine from Seeking Alpha who has a long career of web business success going back to DoubleClick in the 90s and through to 1-800-Flowers, Everyday Health, and being CEO of Investopedia. Came on board to meet up in October 2018 when the company was part of WeWork. WeWork went through its own adventures in 2019 that led to a decision to divest Meetup, a process that didn't wrap up until March 2020. And you know what happened then. So the twists and turns of the last 12 to 18 months were a big part of our discussion. But we also talked about the future of meetings, how much of our online meeting environment will stick around, what Clubhouse and the audio bubble might mean for meetings, and the importance and challenge of online moderation and community management. David's a high-energy guy, and I think you'll enjoy hearing his perspective. For disclosures, I am long Twitter, and Akram is long Twitter. Come on, you think we could get through a podcast without mentioning that company? Okay, here we go. David, welcome to the Razor's Edge. Good to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. Great to be here. So I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with Meetup, but could you give us just the quick overview of the company and especially for our listeners, like what's the business model as well? Because I think we might be more familiar as a user. Of course. Okay. So we are the world's largest platform for organizing and finding groups and events. So a group could be anything from people who are interested in collecting stamps or playing board games to gay guys in Brooklyn who go hiking as a group or people who as a group want to learn Swahili or want to learn a big programming language. So we have 52 million members um, in 193 different countries around the world. We have three over 300,000 different groups and those groups um, create events and we have about 15,000 events every day. All those events were in person until this little thing called COVID. And since COVID started about whatever, nine months ago, 
we have had over 2 million um, online events as well. And by the way, people might be interested, we were owned by WeWork. I was hired by WeWork actually and Adam Newman and WeWork sold us in March, right in the beginning of the pandemic. And we are now owned by a group of investors led by someone named Kevin Ryan, who is the founder of Alicorp and he was the founder of Business Insider, the Guild Group, MongoDB, Zola, and about 20 other kind of startups. So he and I go back to, we worked together at DoubleClick 20 years ago. So that might be interesting for people later on in terms of our business model. So we have two primary revenue sources. The first revenue source is organizers who pay a subscription to organize a meetup group. Many of those people who create subscriptions will have dues in their group, might charge fees to their members, might charge people to RSVP. So if you own a yoga studio and you want to grow your, your yoga studio and you're an SMB, then you might create a meetup group. You also might do it for philanthropic reasons. You're a breast cancer survivor and you want to help people that survive breast cancer to survive breast cancer. And you create a meetup group for that reason as well. So um, people pay a subscription fee of roughly $15 uh, per month um, or a six-month bet, which is less expensive. Um, the other source of revenue for us, main source of revenue, is from companies. So we have Google, who has like close to a thousand groups, and AWS, and Microsoft, and Salesforce, etc. And they all create, and they either sponsor groups or they have their own groups. And the benefit for them is they'd be able to create loyal followings, they're able to create community around their brands. And it's the fastest growing area actually within Meetup is our corporate B2B business. Those are the two sources of revenue and they pay a higher fee. The corporate, it's not a, it's like, it's not internal groups within Google. It's actually for them to try to make external connections of some sort. Exactly. So for example, let's say you are Nike and you want to get in front of all the most influential runners in the country or in the world. And you say, Hey, we want to sponsor every single running group. We're going to have great speakers come to those running groups. We want to get access to be able to email those individuals. We want to have, include them in focus groups. Then if you're a brand, if you're REI and you want to do that for camping groups, if you're Salesforce and you want to do that for people who are into, into Salesforce, it's, it's a way to have direct relationships with kind of massive brand enthusiasts and influencers. Is that like national or is it like localized? How does that work? I mean, at least pre-COVID. Yeah, so pre-COVID, it was all localized. So for example, if you're Google developer groups, you could have a group in Kansas City and one in St. Louis and one in um, Tampa Bay, since we're naming Super Bowl teams right now, <laughs> and one in you know any of the 2,000 plus cities that we happen to have significant coverage. Um, and then you'll have local events in those cities and be able to get your brand name out to those individuals that are part of groups. And some groups could be as large as like 10,000 people in a group. And that's like, really beneficial for a brand. So they would run that concurrently. So if it was like Nike, they'd be like, we're doing this type of meetup uh, in New York, San Francisco, LA, and Philly. They could, or they could do it individually. They, you could have an event across the entire network. So you could have one event for, let's say an online event for a hundred different groups, or you could have localized events, whatever, whatever made sense for people. So you already said that you were starting at zero for online as of a year ago. And now, presumably, I mean, there are parts of the world, I guess, that are better suit, you know, have more open, but I assume it's a huge percentage that's so 
it, it, there, there are two sort of fascinating things for me about Meetup is one is the WeWork angle, actually, which you mentioned, and mm-hmm. which is coincidentally happening as the pandemic is rolling out. So, like, I don't know. This is, I guess I'm straddling those two questions, but, like, how, take us through a little bit of that period. Like, what is that period like where we're in February and March, the pandemic's involving, you're also presumably involved in figuring out how WeWork's divesting, obviously, as a reminder, this is a few months after WeWork's failed IPO and everything that happens there. So, like, what's going on in Meetup a year ago? It was a roller coaster. It was, it was about as insane a professional experience I've ever had in my life. That goes without saying. The number one reason why for 18 years we rejected groups for 18 years that were online only was because it was the importance of kind of meeting in person. Um, one of the things we said once once we saw in March or February even what was happening in China, what was happening in Italy, where our groups in China went down 95% in like a couple of weeks. And then in Italy went down 95%. We're like, oh, it's not going to happen in the United States. Of course it happened. We said, okay, is our goal all about in-person or is our goal about human connections and keeping people connected? So we changed our policy overnight. We got an entire develop um, engineering organization together. And within a week, we enabled people to be able to have online meetup events as a way to keep connected during this particular time where loneliness was already bad. Loneliness is far worse now than it's ever been. The statistics are terrifying. Depression and anxiety are even worse. So meetup plays a very, very critical role um, during this time. So it was, a, it was kind of a no-brainer that we had to completely switch our business and allow for online capabilities. And then what we did is, we said, we're not just going to let people do online, we're gonna support them. So we created a blog called Community Matters where multiple times a week we were giving our organizers advice and how to transition from in-person to, to online. We created a something called Meetup Live where we had thousands of people, uh, tens of thousands of people. Now we've had hundreds of thousands of people and organizers attend to learn about like, how do you use Zoom? How do you use Icebreaker? How do you transition from something that they haven't been doing something one way to a different way. How do you handle social distancing? We, we surrounded the entire embrace of online with best practices in every possible and conceivable way. So that was a bit about the, the transition to online and it's it's been really positive. In fact, we've had many groups that have grown much bigger because of online. So we've, you know, there's an organizer of an ecstatic dance meetup group. And before the group was in, you know, a small city in America, and they just had an event. There were like 20 people from 20 different countries that were all a part of that particular group now. And that's huge. Or let's say you as a person are in a small town in Spain, let's say, for some reason, or the third largest city in all of Spain, then there may not be tons of meetup events happening there. But now you can participate, in theory, in like millions of events that are happening anywhere in the world because of online. So we've embraced it. It's here to stay. Online currently represents roughly two-thirds, but not 100% of our meetup events. There are places like Australia and Hong Kong um, and other places where in-person is like 95% or 90% of events. And then there are places like Latin America or Brazil or California where it's maybe 5% of events and there's still hiking events that are happening outside and, and things like that. Now, in terms of WeWork, huh, WeWork was a tough company to have as a as a parent company. WeWork did a lot of good in that it provided tremendous amounts of financial investment, but with also expectations that we would grow from you know 
30 to 40 million dollars in revenue to like a billion dollars in revenue and overnight. David, just to jump in, just as a for context, remind us, WeWork acquired Meetup at some point and you came to Meetup, you came in 2018 or when did you join the company? Sure. WeWork announced its acquisition in late 2017. The deal closed in January 2018. I joined in October. I started talking to them about becoming the CEO in July of 2018, about six months after their acquisition. And then I officially started in October of 2018, about nine months after they made the acquisition. I was then the CEO for a year and a half under WeWork from October 2018 to March of 2020 when WeWork sold the company. Got it. Okay. So they were tough because, yeah, I mean, WeWork... Maybe we can rehash all that later, but there obviously lots of funny things about WeWork sort of culture that comes came out in the reporting after that. So I can imagine that's sort of a weird and Meetup is, I th- you know, reading today, they were founded in 2002. I mean, Akram and I were talking about like they've been around, the company has been around for a long time. And so it's a very- Howard Dean, bro. Howard Dean. <laughs> Howard Dean helped to put us on the map. 2004 election. You got it. You got it. Nice memory. Howard Dean, by the way, for those who don't know, was really one of the first people to drive virality and kind of a deep connecting to community in his election bid in 2004. And what he did is at the end of every single speech he gave, he said, join my meetup group, join my meetup group. And meetup had this enormous growth during 2004. And by the way, the other person who used us significantly was a little known senator or person looking to become a senator at the time, Barack Obama who uses for community organizing and promised that that if any event had over a thousand people that RSVP'd, Barack Obama would show up in the state of Illinois. So Meetup was a very big part of who he was. In fact, when he's doing his book tour right now, he frequently in almost every interview mentions Meetup being fundamental to uh, his community organizing success. So yeah, we go go far back. In fact, our our founding was actually right after 9-11. We had a very defined corporate culture, a corporate culture focused on our mission, corporate culture about kind of curing the loneliness, loneliness epidemic and and really enabling people to connect with one another and better their lives through those connections. And we work also at a very unique corporate culture, and there was definitely clashes between the two. And um, ultimately, I think we work had a certain investment thesis for their acquisition of Meetup, and it didn't necessarily pan out in the way that they expected. And then at the end of the day, as WeWork was having its IPO troubles, they divested almost every single one of their businesses, if not every business that wasn't core to the company. I mean, in theory, it made, it made a lot of sense, right? I mean, they, they have spaces and people who want to meet up need space. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the, the thesis is that WeWork wants to differentiate itself by building community in every one of their spaces. And by building community, it makes WeWork a more compelling destination for people to want to work at because it's not just uh, physical nuts, bolts, and, and, and glass, but it's people. And, and we work really focused on the people side of things um, in terms of people's connections to others, having events in their spaces, Meetup could create events in their spaces, Meetup can benefit from having a place to make it easier to have events. The There were challenges, however, so from a thesis that made a lot of sense, the, the challenge was that if you take into account what percentage of events can actually happen within a building, 
what percentage of events, most of our events happen on the weekends and the evenings. The vast majority of events happen in the weekends and the evenings when we work, offices are not necessarily used. And the proximity of events to, to WeWork buildings, which although there's many WeWork buildings, there's many more meetup events, 15,000 events every day. It ended up that only about 5% of meetup events could be hosted in, in a WeWork setting if you did the analysis. So that's a, a pretty small percentage. So basically, it, what was good in theory did not work in practice because yeah, of both right. coverage and, and, and activities. Yes. I mean, what percentage of events would you say are involved being outdoors? Like, oh, it's a small know. percentage, but if you take into account both outdoors, both timing of events, meaning most MIBA events will happen at six, seven, eight o'clock. No one's at WeWork buildings during that time, or they're happening on Saturdays and Sundays, and no one's in WeWork buildings during that time. Yeah, so after work. And, and most of, and many of our groups are also pretty niche. If you're a specific interest in, in knitting or learning Swahili or learning Hebrew or learning a certain, pro, certain programming language, that's not a broad-based type topic. We have broad-based topics, but some of the best topics are actually niches that, that are really around people's passions. So th there was just a, not a perfect synergy there, shall we say. There were some. I mean, we had tens of thousands of events and we were buildings, and that's positive, but it didn't necessarily move the needle for either company. So when you're going, you're in March and you're changing the whole fundamental way the business works. And also, it now sounds to me like you're probably excited that you're leaving WeWork to a degree. But that's also going to like, there must have been a ton of uncertainty there too, right? From, I mean, I don't, I don't need to know what stage of the negotiations or whatever for the divestment, but like, you've got a lot of things to juggle as the world is falling apart, right? Like, is that what, what, what is that? What is yeah, March I was like? probably working harder at that time. I was, I, I, I was working 18 hour days and juggling running the company, dealing with, with work divestments. They also allow me to bring different potential buyers to the table at the same time and 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 handling conversations with those buyers that, that we brought to the table, like I brought Kevin to the table. It was a time where I was waking up at five in the morning every day and going to sleep at midnight, you know, for a couple month time period. And the pandemic was hitting at that time. So it was a, it was a <laughs> interesting time of time in my life. Thank God it did not last for more than a couple of months. So, so like... The the window and you know WeWork decides that they're exiting to you're looking for a buyer to before COVID hits is did you did you get to a point where there was like here's the plan for Meetup by itself as a standalone entity without COVID you know what I'm saying yeah yeah so like what was, what what, what were you guys thinking then yeah th there's a there's an article that came out so this is all public information I was informed that WeWork was looking to sell the company back in September of 2019. And the sale didn't happen until late March, 2020. So we're talking about seven months, actually, over seven months by the, from the time that we were told to the time we, that the deal actually closed. So it was quite a long period of time. And we had to figure out how we could uh, ensure financial independence and financial stability during that time. There were different projects that we decided to cut. There was ways in which we knew we'd become more profitable. At the end of the day, our company ended up having over $20 million profit improvement in 2020 versus calendar year 2019 during the pandemic. Well, that's great. That's so, so because when you're talking about the actual shift to online, right? I mean, this whole 
we've been talking about since the pandemic started about acceleration is our favorite word and all the stuff going digital for you guys. It's one thing you have to switch the settings, you know, work to make it so that things can happen online. But are you providing software? Are you providing you talked about putting together Meetup Live, but are you like providing are you developing new tools to help reinforce what's going on in the community? Or is it more just a matter of bringing your community and the people who are used to using Meetup for all those years onto the online model? Yeah, we advised on different tools that our organizers could ultimately use, but but our belief is that we're a platform and we don't tell people what to do. We provide them with the best products and services that they could potentially take advantage of, of which Meetup is you know, the core product and service to take advantage of. And we integrate with some third-party tools, of course, as well. But really, um, the value that we provided was in best practices and in helping our organizers to find members who are passionate around the topic that an organizer is passionate about from anywhere in the world and and opened up an entire world of marketing for many organizers, entire world of members for many organizers of this pandemic. And that's obviously not a good reason to have growth in certain areas um, within the company because of the reality of the pandemic. But if you're going to be helping people to meet other people and to stay connected with people and to get out of the loneliness that they're feeling and to find people that they can connect with, hey, that's a great value that Meta provides. And if that person happens to be in Spain and you're in San Francisco, then, hey, that's great too. So, so being able to provide a forum for that. Well, it's, it's interesting. The one, I'm not actually involved in this aspect of the club, but I'm in a Toastmasters club here. And so Meetup was usually the way that guests would come and join the club, physical meetings. And of course, we went all online. I think our last meeting was like the middle of March. They had just announced that the big holiday here was going to be canceled. And we still met and we're like kind of unsure of what we were doing. And we went on online and we're, we've had a couple in-person meetings since, but mostly online. And one of the things in the club, the people who are, run the club are like, yeah, now today we're traveling to Sevilla or today we're doing a joint session with people in Romania. And so from your perspective, like- First of all, that's awesome. <laughs> that's no, so great. No, I, 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 I mean, I'm sure- like, And just before you answer your question, I just want to say like, one of the things that Meetup helps to do is to decrease xenophobia in the world. I mean, when people are not exposed to people who are different from them, that's not a good thing. And by what you're talking about, the Toastmasters example, there are millions of other examples at, at Meetup or other companies, we're giving people the opportunity to meet people that are in Spain to Romania or from Romania to Kuala Lumpur or whatever that is. And I think the, the net result of that is that people get to know and understand each other better from around the world in different cultures. So. Another really positive thing that's that's coming out of online and why it will continue for sure, you know, after you know the the pandemic abates. But tell me your question. Well, I guess that's that's sort of I, I want to ask about the future, but I for now I'm just thinking about you sort of take out the physical limitations of meeting. Like you mentioned it in the WeWork example, it's just the physical space, but then there's also now that time is still a constraint, but like we can it's really just about how much you scale. But how so meetups role in that is it just the fact that is it just the social network aspect the fact that meetup is because like what is it and i'm i'm not asking this per se from a competitive yeah, like what's standpoint. our moat 
Yeah, but like, why? Why? What do you do that Facebook doesn't do here, or that I, Facebook? I mean, you know, we're crazy about Twitter on this podcast, but <laughs> regardless, I got it. Okay, so a bunch of things. So number one is, in order to have an effective community, you need to have trust and safety in that community area. We've invested millions of dollars a year and tens of millions of dollars in total in really advanced technology that involves machine learning to understand when people are coming into a potential group that can be dangerous for that group. We've kicked out hundreds of millions of potential potential members just this year that might have extreme opinions about certain topics. So whereas Facebook and others don't necessarily invest in kind of the trust and safety of their groups, that's something that's been something that Meetup has invested in for a very long time is very, very important to community building. The result of that is that our brand is then associated with a safer place to be able to get together. And that association means that when people say, hey, join my Meetup group versus a Facebook group, most people will say, oh, okay, I I trust that group more than before. The other thing that's a really big point of differentiation is that Meetup doesn't know what people click on like Google. We know what people actually show up for. We know what their interests are. We know that certain interests could be highly correlated with other interests. So if you're a female product manager and you're currently in the Node.js, whatever group, well, we're gonna help to surface the the female product manager group so that you could also build relationships with other female product managers around the world. So by knowing a lot about people and what interests they may have, we help them to find other groups that they can join, other events that may be of interest to them that many other organizations don't necessarily have. We have both the supply side with the 300,000 groups, 200,000 organizers, and the demand side, the 50 million members. A lot of companies may just have one or the other, but not necessarily both. So what, what's your sense to step back a little bit? So to step back, our biggest point of differentiation is our network. The fact that we have a network and we have a lot of knowledge about what people are most interested in attending and going to, And we also have the technology and means to enable organizers to meet as safely as possible. Our technology isn't like, you know, so differentiated that it's that others can't necessarily, you know, create something and and leverage something else. But if they want to have safety in their group and they want to find members and have people join their groups and they want to use the tools that we provide from an organizer tool standpoint, then it's a really great, pretty low cost solution. So like if I want if I wanted to come to like a wine tasting, but you managed to keep out the person who wants to just show up and talk politics. And yeah, exactly. 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 So we're able to really vet for those types of things. If you want to show create a wine tasting event and you only want to invite your people to that event and not have new people join, may not we may not be the best option. You could use, you know, whatever WhatsApp for that. Um, but if you want actually to get new people to join your community and to market and to meet new, all the, have all these new people join, we're a fantastic solution for that. What's your take on all the big companies, Twitter, ban- you know, everybody banning former President Trump and all that, like, right. sense, because it sounds like you've, Meetup's history is a lot more proactive in that sense. So what do you make of the big players and how they're tackling those issues these days? Yeah, and we've been really at the leadership level around things like Black Lives Matter, 
for, for actually a long time. In fact, someone who organizes a group that's related to social justice and racial equality, they could be an organizer for free. We've had now tens of thousands of different members attending groups that are free regarding anything around social justice and racial equality. And that's been very, very important to us. In terms of banning, well, Trump isn't on meetup per se, so it's not really uh, you know, a thing. But if there are far right groups, you know, Panona, et cetera, then we do not allow those on the platform. Did you notice more tension in the last year? Like, do you yeah. get yeah. a pulse we've had, of that? We've had many people, we've had people reach out to us and say, well, now that we're banned from Facebook and Twitter, meet up, we're here. And we're like, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> not going to work out. So we have definitely saw a rise in people wanting to create groups from far right and or conspiracy theory. And that goes against our policy in terms of disseminating inaccurate information to people. So we've been, we're very, very good in terms of our systems of, of keeping far right extreme groups out. Do you, is that a cute, like- And it could lead to more revenue for us, but that's not about the revenue. It's about creating a safe environment. Well, but it's also because, you know, and I remember from Seeking Alpha, like moderation is hard, right? Like it's a real, you have to actually spend time. And so do you, is that something that you- is it all AI? Is it a mic? Like, I, I, I'm not asking you, for secret yeah. sauce, but like, how yeah, do you no, think we, about we that? We have a third-party technology we spent. That's our second largest spend in our company from a, from a software standpoint that we use. I'm not going to say a name. We've done tremendous customization to that technology as well. We have a large team of people that are focused on trust and safety that, that look through that technology, see what people are coming through, see what types of words are being used in terms of why people want to create groups or why people want to attend groups. We have lots of vehicles for people to launch complaints if a member does something and to ask them not to be part of Meetup and to close those accounts. It's a combination of people and process and technology and machine learning and kind of AI that we use to proactively identify these these types of situations as well. So it's something that we're, we're, we're really proud of and very critical to our platform. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's because even you think about Airbnb, for example, and like, like it, this sort of challenge for every large scale web business is coming out in one form or the other. So it's just interesting to hear. How completely, you guys... completely. Yeah, no, we, we, the for, fortunate thing is this isn't new for us. We've been dealing with this for 18 years. So we, we have a lot of these systems down and it's just a, it, well, the only thing that's quote unquote new it's not really new. It's just there's a greater volume right now, but we're able to use the same processes as we've had before. So I wasn't able to do the math in my head. You had said fifteen thousand events a day, and then you said you've had two million since the pandemic. Are you seeing raw number of events going up in the since the onset of the pandemic? No, it depends on the area. The total number of events is actually down for us, but in certain areas it's up, and in others it's down. So, for example. Events centered, and it's so fascinating to look at which which types of events are going up. So events around health, wellness, meditation, yoga, taking care of oneself, those are actually way up. Events around playing tennis in warmer climates where you can play tennis and where there's social social distancing or hiking, again, way up. Tech events that are like tennis. In, indoors and in small settings, those are down, for example. So it really, it really varies depending on the on the topic. Tennis is up. Tennis is up like three. Yeah, I played a lot of tennis under COVID a ton. Yeah, yeah, so have I. So have I. I played more tennis probably in last year than since I was in high school. (laughs) 
So like, what's, what's your sense? The, everybody's got a view you're looking towards the end. When is it going to come? And who knows when it's going to be, but like, what's your sense of whenever we're at a more or less really new normal, do you think that the meetup, because everybody's wondering what's the snapback, what's et cetera. Like, how do you think about the 2022 or whatever it is where things are, is meetup yeah, a hybrid? Two, two, 2022 is going to be the biggest year for Meetup. We could end up growing, not quite like Zoom grew during the pandemic, but I like to think about 100 years ago and learn from history. And 100 years ago, you had the Spanish flu and influenza, you had World War I, and people were stuck in their houses for years at a time, and there was death and, and devastation throughout the world. And it's not a coincidence the Roaring Twenties ended up coming right after that time period where people had this desperate need to get out and socialize and, and have parties and do things, you know, during that time. Not unfortunately, everyone had that opportunities because of the lack of equality, certainly in America during the 1920s across race and, and, and religion and, and gender. But for those people who did have that opportunity, there was a tremendous amount of socializing that occurred. So I think that what's going to happen is companies like Meetup where our average size for an event is only eight people, eight to 10 people, very different than an Eventbrite or a Ticketmaster where you could have 20,000 people in a stadium. Those are the first events that are gonna be coming back in person. We already saw that at one point in COVID when things were starting to get a little bit better. As there's more herd immunity, people's comfort levels will, of getting together in groups of 10, 15, 20 are gonna be very high. Whereas their comfort levels in getting together in groups of 100, 200, 300 will be low. Well, that fits really well into meetup. It fits very well into community and getting back together in person. And what's going to happen is we're going to get our numbers back from in person that there were beforehand, but there's going to be 20, 30, 40% of people that still want to do online. And we're going to have both online and in person. And, and I believe we're poised for some significant growth at that time. And I'm looking forward to it. So you think that the, there's some, I mean, I'm just restating what you said, but there is an online, like this has opened up something new. It's not just a matter of replacing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that 20 to 25% of meetup events will be online in 2023, let's say. Okay. There's too much of a value of it for people. If you're in a rural area in Toronto and, and like in the outskirts of Toronto, let's say like a friend of mine and you, you have, children who are ADHD and there's no meetup group for you and you could tap into an online group of, of parents of ADHD children or, or fathers who work from home or whatever the, the topic happens to be or Bitcoin enthusiasts, whatever it is, you could you didn't have that little local community in your rural or suburban area beforehand. Now you could tap into that. So, All right, so that's, inter- that's an interesting point with, if you consider right now the end of COVID where you've got Clubhouse you know, catching on and you've, you know, there's a bit of an audio craze. Twitter is about to launch spaces. And as Daniel said, we, we think about this stuff a lot. So it would actually be interesting to get your thoughts on, on, on some of this stuff. I, I don't know if you've used clubhouse or you've played yeah. around with spaces. Yeah. I mean, listen, clubhouse is great. It's a very different use case than meetup. Obviously it's not like a real community. It's more of a audio event with well-known people and I think they're actually going to be very, very successful. But that's not community. It's just, it's, it's, it's not a real community. Real communities are usually smaller groups of people that can be vulnerable with each other, that can build true, meaningful relationships with each other. That's Meetup. 
you know, that's not a clubhouse kind of thing. All right. So if you look at it from that standpoint, if, you know, I think clubhouse will succeed, but take your ADHD example. Is that something that in 2023, if, you know, I obviously by tapping the, the, the internet and community online, you can, you can find a, you know, a, a much better group to get together to discuss something. Is that something where I'm on Meetup, I've made that connection, and then we do a Zoom chat with each other, and we have video? Or is that something where it's like, hey, we're going to host a live clubhouse tonight, and we're going to sit in there, eight of us, and talk about this stuff on, on audio with like, you know, their open mic for, format of passing it around? Or is it like plug and play, choose your own tools inside of Meetup itself? Yeah, I think, listen, that's an interesting question. Um, we are starting to invest more product time into thinking about what third-party tools that we want to align more closely with. Clubhouse could be one of those tools that we decide to somehow leverage as part of Meetup. We haven't made that decision yet, but we do want to, and we're actually doing a big project right now about improving our APIs, which are, we're really happy about because it means many more businesses and, and platforms can leverage Meetup to a greater extent than they do today. But that's it. the answer is, we do want to integrate with more third parties. We do want to be the, the foundation for a community. If people feel that Meetup is a better solution than Clubhouse, which I believe they, that they will, to build real meaningful connections with people, then they'll continue to use us for that. Uh, I think Clubhouse can be very helpful in terms of like a more one-sided type conversation than necessarily an integrated conversation. And I think there's a big difference between in-person, which will be the majority of Meetup events, and or Zoom, which is the minority meet of events and an audio-only type type connection. Okay. And I think they complement each other honestly well. People will learn from both. I have a couple more questions. Akram, anything else from, from yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely in terms of the, the shift to... I mean, I like to think about this in two ways. So COVID obviously has taken... I mean, my experience with Meetup, I, I haven't used it in a while, but... You gotta go back. The I'll definitely check out the tennis. Let's see. Good. But the the element of like I look at it kind of almost like a Craigslist. It, it, this is my perception of it. You you know, and very very 1.0, and it's just had staying power. Like, and you just you threw off some numbers. You know, 50 million users, 35 million in revenue, 15 dollars subscription. Doing the math in my head, like maybe 200 thousand paying users. If you guys aren't doing any advertising, which, I, by the way, I was curious if you've ever thought if brand safety has been such a big deal and, and you've really managed to build this community. I mean, again, network effects are are remote in and of themselves. So if you build exactly. a sub community of, of interests across, you know, a whole wide range of assortments over the years and it's a healthy, safe place to interact, that's a very important thing. And it's become even more important with the mm -hmm. events of the last year. So. When I look at that from that standpoint and I say, well, like, like, how does, how is a business like this monetized? And then you think about COVID and like COVID kind of basically brought everybody else into your space in a sense, like Zoom wants to be a marketplace and something. So everybody wants to leverage something. People are setting up their own telegrams. Uh, you've got all this unbundling going on. I'm going to set up my own sub stack. Everyone's going to be, you know, a journalist, people, hobbyists, you know, like us here hosting this podcast, right? And these types of things that have been going on under COVID. And then you get into live events. Like, so for Clubhouse, you made some very good points. And like, 
I've been playing with both Clubhouse and Spaces. I don't find the time. I, I find Clubhouse a little bit difficult in the sense that, like, I went in, I listened to The Lion King on, on a ride back from the beach. I went in once, I listened to Autonomous Driving with the head of Cruise. I've listened to a couple VC chats and whatnot, but I've definitely haven't gotten in there from like a, a sub community interest standpoint. Meanwhile, on Twitter's beta for spaces, I've played around with like, oh, well, I think that guy's pretty cool. I've been following him for a while. We share common interests on this. Like I hopped into an audio chat with that and we talked about something. And then, you know, lo and behold, like three, four hours later, again, things that I'm not so sure work after COVID. But when I look at these things and I say, well, where does the virtual world for connecting uh, and having these types of meetings and live events, essentially speaking, you know, converge or is it going to be like, would we be hosting a conference and there's like, you know, a clubhouse robot dummy and like people from around the world can hop in because we can't get somebody else in it? Or is this type of thing where you're like a year from now that the majority of the people who, who maybe you found the most interesting on something like a clubhouse just are not going to have the free time or that free time would be maybe spent going out, traveling, eating out. If there is that element to it, which comes back to where you guys are at. And I, I wonder, like, like you were talking about 2022 and, and uh, the analogies to the roaring twenties and, you know, like kind of the jailbreak, I, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can obviously see outdoors be great for you guys, but yeah, in, like in person is never going to be full, is not never going to be replaced at the bottom line. I hope not for the sake of humanity, frankly. I think it's going to be only stronger after the jailbreak, quote unquote, like you said. And I think that the future is in events that are going to be more hybrid in nature. Where And something that we're investing a lot from a product standpoint is how do we make it, a, 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 let's say, a tech event with a speaker to be an amazing experience for in-person, but also a different and also amazing experience for anyone in the world to be able to dial into from any from anywhere exactly. and, and leverage chat. So we're investing right now in a, a host of product features to make hybrid events to be the best platform to use will be Meetup. And frankly, it's a perfect space for us, obviously, because we're in both. And no one else really dominates the in-person small group event space like we do. And uh, to be able to have the right moderation tools, for example, for hybrid events, for online and chat, to allow people to be asked questions, um, if there's a panel for uh, people to do it, there's a whole host of different features that we're, we're, we're building. And uh, and we're excited about that as kind of a huge growth opportunity for us. So why not sell the company to Zoom or Twitter? Yeah, I mean, like if you if, if they you look decide at- that they want to <laughs> that they would like to acquire us at the appropriate time, then uh, we're open to hearing any kind of conversations at the appropriate time. But we're not we're not in any rush at all either. Because I would I would think that there would be interesting overlap in in, in either case it, when you consider the the trust aspect and you consider trying to. Because the way I see it, everybody's going to try to crack hybrid. Yeah, right? I, there, there's there's a lot a number of companies have already reached out to us, and and for us, that's not a, that's not a priority for us right now. Got you. I wanted to just not from Meetup specifically, but I'm curious what you hear these days. Rumors are out there that WeWork is being spacked, or there may be a WeWork yeah. spack. Are you hearing spack talk? Like, is because it just seems like everybody's going to spack, so it just seems like. It's hard to, you know, I, I haven't, for example, heard anything about Seeking Alpha, but it just feels like everybody with a SPAC is looking, you know, we're at the point where- Yeah, no, I read about WeWork and Wall Street Breakfast for Seeking Alpha, actually, and that, that was interesting and certainly not a surprise. I don't think it's the right time for us right now. It's something that 
I'm sure I'll discuss with the board, but you know, we have plenty of capital, we have plenty of cash, and we don't necessarily need to take that kind of a financial kind of action. If we ever feel like we need to, we can, but it's just not a priority for us, right? And we just want to create focus on creating, you know, great experiences for our members and organizers. Have you guys ever looked at advertising as part of the part of the model from a revenue standpoint? Yeah, it's funny you asked about that. So the answer is we are definitely opposed to any any person kind of want being able to advertise on our platform. That's not something that we want to pursue as a platform. However, we are we've done a recent test with about five different clients. And for example, there was a conference called DevCon for developers, and they had X number of attendees. And they asked us if they could pay to promote their conference and get attendees who would be interested in the particular topic. We drove over 1,500 attendees to their conference. So that's so, an example. Yeah, so essentially lead generation. Yeah, that's, a, that's an example of, of an opportunity where if there's, especially tech, because we're so strong in tech, tech is our actual number one vertical. There are many tech conferences that would like to get, whether it's virtual or in person, more people to attend. And we are exceptionally good at getting people to, and knowing the right people around topics, around learning, around tech. So that's an area where we have just built out a new capability called paid promotion and specifically around people who want to get people to attend their mini conferences or larger conferences. And there's, there's definitely a, an, a growth opportunity there. Okay. We're already in be, that product. Like, if, like, you know, if I'm into puzzles of, you know, greater than a thousand pieces, you wouldn't have, mm -hmm. you know, specific, specific puzzle makers selling ads into the meetup group potentially or yeah, sponsoring. We don't want to do that. Okay. That's not something we're interested in now. Because the hobbyist space, obviously blew up under COVID. So baseball card collecting, puzzles, games, et cetera. So I would think that uh, no. like specializing in smaller communities like you guys, that would be very interesting for uh, anyone looking to sell. Yeah, no, we, we'd rather help our organizers. And if our organizer wants to pay extra to get more promotion for more people to attend their conference or their event, then we're open to that. But we, we don't want to necessarily want to connect people to so it's really like incumbent upon them to reach out. Yeah, if if it's a, if if a yoga studio says we want to we want to get more promotion of people to attend our our meetup, then it's accelerating what they're already doing with meetup. That's something we're focused on. But we're not looking to get yoga equipment in front of people who attend yoga meetup groups. That's not something we want to do. Who? Maybe last thing for you, David. I know we're on a podcast. I know you recently launched one. Like, what's your take? As a I new did. New member of the audio world, give us your quick pitch and give us your take on what you're... What, what's the focus? Yeah, so so please, thank you for opening it up. Our podcast is called Keep Connected with Meetup CEO, me, David Siegel. We have both people who are experts in community organizing to help the millions of people who are community organizers in one shape or, or form to become better at what they do. And we also have these meet up members and organizers whose lives have been changed. You know, a person who was homeless and attributes meet up to the reason why they got out of homelessness or someone who had major anxiety and depression and attributes meet up as kind of the thing that saved their life. So it's called Keep Connected and available on any major podcast platform. I'm loving being a podcast host. I love meeting interesting people. I love kind of asking questions and helping our members to learn 
and inspiring them to figure out how they can be leaders themselves. I, I fundamentally believe that every single person in this world has the opportunity to be a leader. And when you're a leader, you learn more than any other opportunity because you get to learn from all the people that you're that are in your community. So I'm absolutely loving it and I encourage people to check it out, including the two of you. Yeah, I, I listened to the first episode and enjoyed it. Yeah, how are you podcasting to be a community? But I meant to say that a podcast, an effective podcast can be a bit of a community. Are you finding, I mean, you're early days, but are you like, is that part, are you trying to test out or model community building through Meetup, through the podcast, like as a way to, as a touchstone? That's interesting. You know, it's harder because we don't necessarily know all the people who have downloaded our podcast. So it's not as though I can reach out to the thousands and thousands of people who have already, um, tens of thousands of people that have already kind of listened to our podcast. So I don't really see it as that. I see it as more of a, of a way to share best practices on building community and inspire everyone to either build a community themselves or to find a community to join, whether it's on Meetup or somewhere else. Very cool. Yeah, we find that the best way our community gets in touch with us is when they heckle us about the stocks we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> so, um, I hear it. I hear it. All right. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Really enjoyed catching up and hearing Meetup. Yeah, thank you. Very interesting time. Yeah, I'm glad we had the opportunity to work together in our past and we're reconnected to again. I'm going to, I'm, no I'm going to log, log on and yeah. check out your tennis meetups. Please do. Please do. Akka. All right. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful, as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.